um, again on this Pentecost Sunday as I was thinking about um, uh, what to what God might want to say to us through the scripture today. I was um, reminded that in April we had an amazing um, sermon by Gabi Viesca about the same passage that I'm going to talk about um, where she brought together um, themes of this moment in in the story of this community of G- early community of Jesus followers being really connected to the redemption of what happens in the, the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. Um, and so as I thought about what to do with that, I thought, gosh, she preached an amazing sermon that brings out so many of the themes that we celebrate at Pentecost. Um, and I decided to go in a little bit of a different direction. Um, Partially because when I think about what to preach, I look at what are the what are the passages on the lectionary um, that are sort of in the church calendar, and then I also uh, think about what what have I been learning, what has the Spirit been doing in my life, and where are there intersections of those things that I can share out of. And so, one of the places where I've been really challenged um, is in learning from um, folks that come from a Jewish background. There's been two areas of my in my life in the last couple of months where I've had a uh, the the um, gift of of listening and learning from two women, um, one who I'm in a community with supporting as she does some intercultural um, learning. Uh, she became a Christian, was raised Jewish, became a Christian in her adulthood. Um, the other person is someone um, named Elizabeth Morif Pritchard, who you can find on Instagram, who was on, um, if you listen to the Reclaiming My Theology podcast, she was a guest um, a few weeks ago. But what both of these women have um, helped me consider is the ways that when we erase um, Jesus or the early church from its very Jewish context, we start down this road of erasure of Jewishness that is the root of anti-Semitism. Um, and that felt like, as much as I'd known that there were Christians who, throughout history who'd been associated with that, it felt like new learning to consider how deep that connections go or how much those things are ingrained in the way we talk about our faith, our theology in a way that's been really challenging for me. Um, so I've appreciated these these women who have brought a perspective that is different than how I grew up considering Jesus's Jewish identity or the way that needs to be centered in his story and the story of the early church. Um, and what I notice about these women is that they're able to bring these insights um, because of the lived experience of the people they come from. So in a similar way that uh, when we talk about white supremacy in our Western theology, um, it means we have to understand that that's just the water we've swum in or swam in. Forgive uh, the grammar of that sentence. Um, It's not just about pointing out that white supremacy looks like people wearing white hoods and burning crosses, right? Sometimes we we point to the extreme versions of something to distance ourselves um, from the way it's just part of how we've been shaped. I I want to suggest that the same is true when it comes to the topic of anti-Semitism. So there's a way that that has formed how we're shaped, um, and it's not just what shows up when uh, the alt-right forces of American life gather in Charlottesville and march with torches, um, chanting slogans that are intentionally meant to invoke um, Nazi uh, thinking, right? So that's an extreme version and it's easy to distance ourselves rather than consider, wait, where, where are they getting those? Where, where are the people in that crowd who identify as Christians? Where, where are they getting this from? 
So I want to help us um, wrestle a little bit or explore and hopefully um, enrich our sense of what this what this holiday, what this festival was um, for the folks that are celebrating in our passage uh, this morning, which is Acts 2 verses 1 to 21. Um, so Pentecost just means 50. It marks the 50 days after Easter, after we celebrate Jesus's resurrection. Um, and in our text, as was already stated, it's significant because it's the story of the Holy Spirit um, becoming present with Jesus's followers after he's departed um, and the growth of the community that happens as Jewish folk from across an ethnic spectrum join what's happening Um Gabby really uh, beautifully pointed out that it was a way that for this community, it meant that one voice was not going to be central um, as they heard uh, what God had done being spoken in many languages. So let me pray for us and then I'm going to read this passage. Um, it's a long one. However, it's narrative. So what I invite you to do as I read it is to think about what do you picture in the scene as you're watching it? Try to put yourself in the scene. What are the sights, the sounds? What what sensations do you have as you imagine being in the scene? Let me pray first. God, thanks. Um, thank you for your word. God, thank you for... Um, the reality that every time we come to your scripture, um, we're in a we're in a different grouping of people, um, and that you can say uh, different things that can be in conversation with other things we've heard about a text. Thank you that your Spirit makes that possible. And so, um, would you help us receive what you have for us today through this text, um, and that can be added um, and help us continue to learn and grow and be um, a more inclusive group of your followers. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Acts 2 verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Pamphylia, wow, butchering those, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What I want us to help us uh, to help us understand, and we're going to sit mostly um, in the early part of this passage and thinking about the group of Jewish uh, pilgrims who are part of this story, as well as um, these this Jewish community um, of people who have been following Jesus, who are waiting for whatever Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, something's going to happen. And then this is the moment where the something happens. Um, but the reason all of these Jewish pilgrims are in Jerusalem to celebrate um, is because of the festival that falls at the same time called the Feast of Weeks. Um, in Hebrew, it's uh, the holiday known as Shavuot. So it falls seven weeks after Passover, and it commemorates um, another significant moment early in the story of the Jewish people, where they are in the Sinai Desert, having just been freed from slavery in Egypt, um, and they receive the Torah, right? As Moses comes down off the mountain, says, this is the special relationship. These are the instructions from God. This is what will define our people, our relationship with God, with one another, and our story going forward. So this festival is joyful and celebratory. Um, in synagogues, they are decorated with greenery and flowers, um, as well as there's a um, tradition of having all night scripture studies um, that are accompanied by um, what was described as dairy rich desserts, like cheesecake, for instance. Um, and this comes from the rabbinical uh, tradition that the Torah was given while the Jewish people were sleeping. And so they stay up all night studying the word of God in order to, to receive, um, receive Torah again. Um, I am someone who really likes cheesecake, so I can get behind this, this tradition in addition to the all night scripture study, um, which sounds like it's probably a fun tradition as well. So that's the backdrop. That is the festival that is happening. And the reason why so many Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world have made their way to Jerusalem. Um, they are in town to celebrate Shavuot as an ethnically diverse community of Jewish people. And that is the part that stood out to me the most as I read this passage this time. It's a super diverse crowd, and yet they're all Jewish, right? Lots of ethnic diversity, but unified around um, their Jewish faith identity. And when we celebrate Pentecost as the beginning of a new identity, right, that is Christian, um, and we talk about the ethnic and linguist linguistic diversity represented in Acts 2 as a way, way to celebrate the story of Jesus reaching out and welcoming others, we have to consider that what actually is happening is building on something that was already happening, Right. Um, Jewish people had already um, settled in other parts of the world, both from um, parts of moments of diaspora um, after the word is escaping me after uh, they experienced exile in Babylon, as well as um, people that they have met in their new communities have become converts to Judaism. So people who did not come um, from their same people group have become part of their people um, through that process of cultures intermingling. Um, so in some ways, as I was trying to grapple with how would a Jew Jewish audience read this text, um, in some ways it feels like the spirit is affirming something that has happened through Jewish identity as their community has spread, as they've added new numbers and they've grown into a diverse representation of the Mediterranean world. 
Um, and if it feels like I'm splitting hairs here to say, well, how is that different than what what we celebrate at Pentecost or how we talk about it at Pentecost. Um, maybe I am splitting hairs, but I believe it matters um, because if we don't consider that this is uh, this is part of something that was already happening um, and that would grow after that, uh, there's a way that we, um, I don't think we do justice to the Jewish roots of our faith um, uh, and, it, and, the, and the Jewish roots of our faith can uh, quickly slide into a problem that needs to be solved and something that the Jesus story fixes rather than Jesus being fully rooted in that identity and doing something out of that community and within it. So it's not accurate to say that the early church is the first place um, where Jewish followers of Jesus wrestle with cross-cultural power dynamics because um, it's clear that in the story of Judaism, that was happening as well. So an uh, uh, interesting uh, and what I thought was a beautiful depiction of that is that for centuries, um, it is tradition to read the, the book of Ruth during Shavuot. And Ruth is the story of a woman whose ethnic background is unclear, but it is not a Jewish one. And yet she chooses loyalty to her Jewish mother-in-law and chooses to return to Israel with her mother-in-law to become part of the Jewish community. And it is her story that is celebrated in this Jewish holiday. It's the story of a community growing to include outsiders. Um, and as we read the Hebrew scriptures, that's a recurring theme that God was always welcoming outsiders or calling God's people to welcome in outsiders, to become insiders. Clearly, what happened with Ruth is not an isolated incident if this scene from Acts 2 includes, and I will read again from the text, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are folks who um, converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. <coughs> excuse me. Again. <coughs> oh, excuse me. What I want us to sit in and wrestle with, perhaps not even wrestle, maybe just sit in and marvel at, is the diversity of this early first century Jewish community that has gathered in Jerusalem. This Pentecost, I'm inviting us to linger in the Jewishness of this story in all of its diversity and celebrate that one way God was working through God's people to reach the ends of the known, to reach the ends of the known world. Because if we jump too quickly to what this means for us, um, in our theological perspective, that jumping very quickly ahead has been a source of persecution for the Jewish people since the beginning of the church. And that is a problem that we have to wrestle with because anti-Semitism in all its subtle and overt forms lands on the bodies of Jewish people throughout history and through to the present. So in the last couple of weeks, because of what's been happening in Israel and Palestine, there is a very necessary conversation um, that needs to happen about the history of uh, oppression and destruction that needs to be unpacked in that part of the world um, and that needs to be separated from the modern government of Israel and how that plays out against Palestinian people, right? That's a whole other conversation. But what we also need to grapple with is that there has been an uptick in our country 
um, of threats against synagogues and Jewish people in the last two weeks. And that is related to that we have such a strong history of um, culturally throughout right Europe's history and into America of feeling permission um, to oppress Jewish people that anytime there's a criticism of something related to Jewishness, and I want to be clear, the government of Israel is not the same as Jewish identity, okay? That's, I want to be clear about that. But what folks uh, in our world who want to enact violence upon Jewish people, any critique of anything associated with, with something related to Jewish identity gets quickly turned into an opportunity um, for attack and for violence. So I noticed um, on social media, there were actually groups of volunteers organizing in um, cities across America this weekend in particular to offer to walk Jewish um, worshipers to their synagogues for Shabbat services. So that they wouldn't be alone or wouldn't feel like they were bodily threatened by people who might want to enact harm on them. Um, I want to be clear, that's not a past experience, right? That is a That was this weekend um, that people who said, hey, anti-Semitism is a problem. We're going to surround your community with love and protection and stand with you as you walk to your services. Um, there is a tradition of looking for any excuse um, to enact violence upon Jewish people. Hitler didn't invent anti-Semitism. If we want to go farther into Christian history, Calvin and Luther didn't invent it either. But you should read some of their stuff because there's a lot of uh, problems there. It actually predates the early church, right? Um, Romans had a real problem with what was happening in Judea because these Jewish people kept resisting the occupation of the Roman Empire. Um, it gets to a point that after Jesus's death and resurrection, the early church is formed, right? Um, Rome completely destroys Jerusalem and another Jewish diaspora happens. But what happens at that moment in church history is that this early community that's wrestling with what does it mean to be Jewish and Gentile? How do we work out these power dynamics? How do we stay connected to these Jewish roots, but also continue to include insiders? That connection to Jewish root and Jewish identity is almost completely severed with the destruction of the temple. Um, and as a result, the Jewish, um, the early Jewish Christian community uh, basically being obliterated. So that tie um, is severed in a way that sometimes we talk about um, the way that the Jesus story grew, right, to welcome Gentiles. And we only celebrate what that meant. And I've been in services where those of us who come from a Gentile background raise our hands to say, we're so grateful that the church grew in Gentile territory. And yes, I am grateful. But what I don't think we make space for is to mourn what was lost when the roots of the church's Jewish identity were, again, almost completely severed. And you start reading writings um, in the first century after Christ, second, third, and fourth, by early church fathers who say such hateful and dehumanizing things about Jewish people to justify their further marginalization, um, their torture, and their death. And that is something that we have to be willing to explore. Some of the things you can read from uh, these early church documents, it makes it very hard to understand um, how these leaders of the church, how did they understand Jesus's identity as a Jewish man? Because it seems impossible to get from that place to a place of justifying destruction. So as these teachings become normalized and accepted, Jesus is reframed and reimagined um, by Western Christians until he becomes decidedly less of a Jewish figure um, and somebody who uh, people feel 
in our context, okay saying they worship on Sunday and have no problem um, wearing a shirt that reads Camp Auschwitz as they're storming our national capital on January 6th. So that's that's the through line to some of this um, some of this anti-Semitism. So then on this Pentecost, as we consider what it might mean to see a passage where the Spirit affirms that something has already been happening and that doing so signals something new is happening as well, that both of those things are there at the same time. Something about these roots, these Jewish roots are being affirmed and the diversity of that experience and something new is happening in the way that these Jewish folks are hearing what God has been doing um, in their own language, right? So one language is not central or more dominant. They're hearing it in their own language. Something new is happening as well. Um, how do we hold both of those things? And maybe if we've uh, if we've often thought of Pentecost just as focusing on the new thing the Spirit is doing, how do we look more carefully at the old, not the old thing, sorry, that's unhelpful language, at the thing that already exists that is being affirmed? What we see in this text is this Jews from all over the world gather in Jerusalem for Shavuot. They're hearing the disciples testify in their native languages. And that's the symbol that something unique is taking place in their midst. And they're invited to participate and pay attention. So what do we do as 21st century um, followers of Jesus in our American context? What can we do to consider... Um, the anti-Semitism that we have maybe been swimming in because it's what we've inherited as Western Christians. Um, how can we uh, how can we explore that and acknowledge it rather than uh, resist it because we're not the extreme version of how that plays out? So here are I have four things I'm going to invite us to consider that may come across as very simple, but I wonder if they're profound given our history, the history we as Christians are a part of the ways that we can honor um, the Jewish roots of Jesus and this early community. So the first thing I want to say is that we can start by listening to Jewish voices. So one suggestion that was made to me is to get yourself a rabbinical commentary on the New Testament. What this does is it, um, it actually centers a Jewish perspective on these stories, um, the context of what's happening in a way that... Um, I think Christian writers of commentaries try to do that work as well, but I just think it might be different if it comes from a thoroughly Jewish perspective. How might that enhance what we're seeing? How might that complicate what we've seen or the interpretations that we've had? Um, that is one way you could listen to Jewish voices. Um, another thing we can do, there's actually something we can stop doing, is that we can stop and notice when what we are saying or teaching or consuming erases Jewishness in some way. So a simple way to do this is that when we talk about the books in our Bible that are from Genesis to Malachi, we can refer to them as the Jewish or the Hebrew scriptures instead of referring to them as the Old Testament. Now, why does that matter? The reason it matters, and as I caught myself earlier saying something old, is because of our either or thinking Old is almost always associated with something bad, something to be ignored, something can be discarded, and new is seen as something that can be listened to, can be affirmed, can be centered. Um, what that does is it erases that for Jewish folks, um, the Jewish scriptures are living and alive and active in their communities today. They are not old. They are not meant to be erased, right? So we can honor that 
um, by calling those scriptures and referring to those books in our Bible as the Hebrew scriptures or the Jewish scriptures. It honors that these are sacred texts to an entire community um, of people who are Jewish around the world today. The third thing we can do, we can continue to apply um, a lens when we look at the New Testament books that we are witness when we come to the New Testament of insider conversations between Jewish people. Okay, so an example of this um, that came out really clearly in the Reclaiming My Theology episode um, with Elizabeth Moraf Pritchard is that um, when you look at the Gospels, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, we turn that into good guy versus bad guy conversation. That's simply a conversation between Jewish folks who are having a different interpretation of something that's happening. Um, and when we miss that that's an insider conversation, we can take things from it that are not helpful or have unhelpful interpretations about that. Um, so consider that the humility we need when we approach the New Testament is that we are uh, we're having to do work to understand the original context. And the original context is that this is insider conversations and even arguments that we were not privy to. And so how does that, how does that, uh, what does that do to our interpretation? Um, and the last thing is that we can consider ways that maybe it's not helpful to view our Christian traditions as something brand new that creates distance between ourselves and Judaism. So one of the things you see in the early church that uh, seems like it's part of what these church fathers uh, who, who communicate really anti-Semitic things, what they're trying to wrestle with is that they don't know how to make sense of a world where the church exists and Judaism also exists. Because if what Jesus did somehow completed something from Judaism, then why why do these two communities two exist? still exist. Um, and that was clearly difficult for them to wrestle with. Um, and they didn't come up with a good way to navigate that tension. What they said instead is, well, maybe Jewishness shouldn't exist, right? And that that took them on a road of othering Jewish people, saying dehumanizing things, and those dehumanizing things being justification um, for right later down on the road or an ongoing pattern of um, genocide right throughout Western European history um, towards Jewish people. So we need to we need to consider the way when we talk about things uh, that happen in the New Testament as brand new, sometimes uh, that's not accurate to what is it being experienced in those communities. And we can do some work to dig into that and to come up with different ways to talk about what's happening. So those things might not feel huge, but again, in the context of our Christian traditions as Americans, as people who inherited those traditions um, from Europe, they are significant um, because they foster a level of, um, I think a level of nuance and a level of work on our end um, that help us dismantle things that have been really destructive towards other people. And as I was thinking about this, I don't know if there's a more appropriate way to celebrate Pentecost this year, right? Than as thinking about how can these things be exposed, further exposed, so that we are able to honor the Jewish roots of this story um, and the way that those things, uh, the mingling of something very ancient and maybe something slightly new is what is happening in Acts 2. So I'm going to um, pray for us um, and then... Um, we're going to get some space to, to uh, talk with one another in community and small groups about what encouraged us, what challenged us, or what we're intrigued by as we think about this topic. God, we thank you for this scene in Acts 2 
um, where the, the diversity of Jewish identity across the Mediterranean is brought together. Um, and they're brought together in a way that then the story of the story of what Jesus has done is shared in a way that's um, that's culturally relevant, that uh, is is communicated in a language that is safe and familiar. Um, and God, as I think about um, the the women um, from Jewish backgrounds who I've been sitting under their teaching and learning from them. Um, what I hear from them is a longing that people that they love and care for um, would have opportunities to hear about Jesus in a way that is culturally relevant and that uses safe language that is familiar. God, and I hear the pain in their stories of the ways that um, Christian communities uh, erect barrier after barrier without um, intention or without consciousness about that. Um, towards Jewish folk who might be curious about how Jesus intersects with their stories or where there might be connections in Jesus's identity. Um, and so, God, we want to be people that can be thoughtful about that um, and create, um, when we think about the inclusiveness of our church spaces, um, that we would be places where um, all people are able to find um, safety in language and in practice and in how we're talking about um, these stories. And so would you grow our ability to be aware of um, where, we, where we're not able to do that as individuals um, and where we could grow into more of that because of the community um, that we're being shaped by? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now it is time to hear the word of God. Um, scripture is so precious to uh, the people of God that in some church traditions, they will actually take the Bible, take their copy of the scriptures, and they will kiss it to physically, tangibly demonstrate their love. I won't kiss this Bible because it belongs to Gus, and we're not trying to share germs like that, especially right now. Um, so uh, I am excited to hear from Gus. Gus um, is... Um, a human being that is a lot of fun to be around. You always get into an interesting conversation with Gus. Um, I know Gus as a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ and a passionate student of God's word. Um, so we are in for a treat today. Um, I, we also know him in our church and in our neighborhood have come to know Gus as someone who has said yes to God's call um, to love those who are farthest on the margins in our community, those who are living outside. And uh, even as he's transitioned out of uh, doing that work with Home PDX, the Holy Spirit is also brewing something up for what's going to happen here on the land of the Clackamas people. Um, so I am going to step away from here and mask up, and Gus is going to get on here. So let's get our best Zoom clap on and welcome up our brother Gus. Good morning, everyone. Um, all right. So you're going to be, I, I usually pull my, my text from the lectionary um, this week, the, uh, and I use a, a, a Catholic lectionary uh, uh, book that is kind of a starting place to focus on the text. Um, so the text in the, the Catholic lectionary, it's different if you're in the uh, uh, 
other lectionaries, uh, is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Um, and just first, I'd like to pray before we start. Dear Jesus, pray that you would you would give me the words, the, the clarity of thought and speech, just as I, as I share uh, uh, what, what I've seen in this text today. Um, pray that you would guide me, that, uh, yeah, that, that it would be helpful to other people um, as they listen. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. So we're looking at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I, I want to start out laying a little bit of a groundwork for where I think we're going to go today. Um, I, I think that if you guys can remember all the way back a week ago, I think Andrea uh, set this up in a way that is going to work really, really nicely uh, with how I'm going to be talking about this text. Um, so one of the things that she talked about was how sometimes, whether we mean to or not, we end up stripping a text of its context. Like, what what's the parts that aren't being said? in this text? What's the setting? Who are the players involved? Like, what is the conversation that's happening around the conversation? Um, another thing that she talked about was how uh, the conversation that Jesus is having is one that is happening with Jews, between Jews, like everybody's Jewish in this conversation, that, that there isn't a... <laughs> There isn't a non-Jewish perspective that's being shared. And that's a different conversation than when everyone's coming from a very different perspective. Like if you've ever done any interfaith work, like it's a very different perspective than when everyone comes with a shared, you know, certain set of uh, standards or beliefs or values, like that, that goes a long way to kind of getting the conversation started. And I'm going to suggest that as we have this particular conversation, that, that we do something similar. Like, it's not exactly the same. But I'm going to suggest that we don't do this hand-wavy thing where we wash our hands of all of the people who disagree with us about what scripture is about, that, that we allow those who have claimed to be Christians to be counted as Christians, this is going to include some very unsavory characters. Like, this is going to include, you know, the Inquisition. This is going to include 
colonialism. This is going to include people who committed genocide in the name of Jesus. But I think the reason that it's important to do that is because it's, it's honest. It allows us to not say, oh, those folks aren't real Christians. They, they believe something that is different. But instead, it's taking ownership of the tradition that we come from with all of its, you know, warts and all. <clears throat> and, and I think, all right, so with that as kind of a framework for where we're going, uh, it's also worth saying that this is a text that's been used to justify colonialism, like churches, uh, uh, you think about all of the churches through, or all of the cities throughout California is a really great example. They're all named after Spanish missions. Um, if you read the history of these Spanish missions, the, the things that were done to indigenous people to establish those missions as a way of creating kind of uh, outposts for the Spanish empire, um, it's pretty gross. And the United States later had similar projects. The, the, the Whitman mission, the, uh, uh, yeah, just throughout, throughout our history, the history particularly of North America is one of the church saying, oh, we're going to all nations. We're going to all people. We are, you know, going to bring them good news. And with this good news comes the seizure of their land, the, uh, yeah, and the annihilation of their people and way of life. So that's the context that I'm wanting to look at this text on. The Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But here's here's the part where I'm going to try and diverge a little. Like with that in one hand and recognizing that that's part of our tradition. That's part of who we are. Like that's the part of the family that no one wants to talk about or acknowledge that's in the family tree. That's That's a real deal. But then I, I think it's worth reading the actual text and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Uh, we, we have this relationship to commands. Um, we think of it as kind of the way you talk to an obstinate dog or, you know, sometimes, sometimes small children. Not that any of us would do that. Um, it's, it's, it's a way, it's, it's about command and control. It's about how we subjugate others. It's about how we make them do what we want or what we think is best, or sometimes just what's best for us. Instead, uh, <clears throat> let's see, Clarence Jordan, who's a New Testament, uh, uh, he, he was a scholar in New Testament Greek, 
um, he did a translation of the New Testament uh, where he re he replaces the New Testament into the Deep South and then translates the text into a Southern vernacular. Um, I really like his book. It's it's got some warts of its own, but uh, the way he uh, uh, translates this particular section, he says. Teach them to live by all I have outlined for you. Which sounds a little different than teach them all that I've commanded. Like that sounds different to our ears. And so instead of doing this thing where we we say, oh, this is a command. Like what has Jesus outlined for us? Um, And so I'm I'm not going to do this as a rhetorical thing. Uh. The Gospels, in particular, are kind of like a serial, um, as opposed to an episodic TV show. Um, Episodic TV shows are those ones where you can catch an episode here or there. There's not a huge overarching plot for a season, but it's, you know, like, I can watch one episode of Star Trek. I know what's going on. Like, it's fairly straightforward. If I catch the whole season, like, sure, there might be an arc, but for the most part, each episode stands alone. An episode or a show, the, the one I'm going to pick, which is going to date me terribly, um, The Wire. Um, I love The Wire. You can't watch, like, season three, episode four of The Wire. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, each episode builds on the last. Season after season, you have these large arcs that are building. And what happens is... Uh, I, I saw a few people, you know, give the zoom clamp at the mention of the wire. So they're going to get this reference and the rest of you are going to be confused, which is part of my point. There's a character named Omar. And if somebody says Omar coming, like everybody who's seen the show knows what I'm talking about. There's, there's a, this, this is a serial and the, the text that has come before informs how we read the text that we're reading. So with, with that, I'm going to flip over, going to stick in Matthew because Matthew is writing a coherent story all his own. Like we don't have to even jump over to another uh, gospel. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump to Matthew five twenty one, And I, I, I zipped over to the Sermon on the Mount and I just started reading a few things. Like it's, it's full of Jesus telling us to do this, that, or the other thing. And so it seemed like a good place to start. Um, you have heard it said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder, but whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to hellfire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Therefore, before the the altar, And go first and be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. 
Next, I'm going to look at, just going to keep bopping along and jump from passage to passage here. Uh, next, I'm looking at Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may all that you may be children of your father in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers and sisters what more are you doing than others do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And last, I, I wanted to just a short one. Uh, Matthew 6, 12. Uh, we said a version of this in our, uh, in our Lord's Prayer this morning. But, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, this makes terrible policy for empire. Like, if I'm trying to run a means of extraction of wealth, if I'm trying to consolidate power, if I'm trying to subjugate other people, like, this is not the way to do it. Like, forgiving our debts, like, that's how we make the money. Like... <laughs> Um, and then I, I have a one last slide. It's my, my friend Mark Van Steenwick, um, long-term long friend, but <clears throat> he says, if you're going to build an empire, the Sermon on the Mount makes for poor policy. Therefore, if you want to exploit Christianity for imperialness, you have to marginalize Jesus. And so going back to our starting text this morning, the text we start out with, you know, go therefore and do all, or showing them all that I have commanded. Like, this is what Jesus is commanding. This is the, the way, uh, the way that I have outlined for you, as Clarence Jordan says, that this is a very different way than this text is usually used. It's, it's usually, at least in my experience, used as a bit of a club. Um, and I think it would look very different if we were to share this outline with, with if, if our evangelism was less about kind of strong arming someone intellectually, if it was less about a, uh, uh, a, a threat, if instead it was an invitation to a better way of life, um, an invitation to a way that doesn't crush people, um, an invitation to a way that allows people to make mistakes and still be able to get back up when they're done. That's a very different, that is a very different invitation. And one that would be very different if we are taking it to the ends of the earth. 
if we're taking and it's one it's one that doesn't allow us to you know the kind of power that often the church has exacted out of ourselves and others i think that's good news i think it is good news that jesus offers us another way of life and invites us to include as many people as we can in that and i think it's also good news that we don't have to spend our time figuring out how the in-group and out-group, like who, who is in, who is out. I, I can think that uh, certain people who work for the U.S. Empire out of Washington, D.C. are very unchristlike. They're, they're, if they claim to be Jesus's followers, that is between them and Jesus. For me, like the Sermon on the Mount is good news and good policy, but not one you can build an empire on. And that's what I got. So my, my benediction to you today, Access Church, is may you go forth and share the good news canceling debts, the good news of letting go of your bitterness at your neighbor, and to share that with others, to invite them to the party. Amen.